Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. Thank you so much for tuning in. I think it's going to be an interesting show today with a lot of variety. We're going to discuss how to exercise in airports. We're going to discuss how to go to wineries that don't necessarily accept guests. That's with a wine and spirits expert na- later named Michael Green. But first, one of my favorite co-hosts is back. That is Jason Cochran. He is the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com. Hey, Jason, thank you so much for appearing once again on the Fromer Travel Show. Hello again. It's nice to be back. Well, I, I wanted to have you back because you're uncovering a lot of unexpected travel challenges this week or recently on Fromers.com. For example, I had no idea that this was the case, but you wrote a piece about the fact that if you get a DUI, if you're caught driving under the influence, you are then banned from Canada, from visiting Canada. How can that be? Basically, Canada changed its laws not so long ago to say that a DUI is a very serious crime, sort of an equivalent to a felony. And anyone who commits a felony uh, is not eligible to enter Canada, and they share our database, so they can look you up at the border and look into the. If you're American, look out and see what you know your criminal record may or may not be, uh, and it takes uh, ten years until um, they let you back in. Ten years after you've completed your sentencing, basically for whatever uh, conviction you might have received. So they wow. just don't want serious criminals in, and they consider DUI a serious crime. It doesn't matter if you can promise I'm never going to rent a car. You can promise all those things. It won't matter unless you have some sort of special dispensation or visa uh, that gets you past that problem, and then those are expensive and not guaranteed, you're not going to be allowed in on a casual basis. So if you had a DUI, say, and you need to do business in Canada, you have to. You can't just assume you're going to get past the border because they do check this, I'm yeah, assuming, right? they do. A lot of our the American allies do share the ability to look into the system. Um, yeah, there's two ways you can try to get around it. You can apply for a temporary resident permit. It costs about $200 just to apply, but you may not huh. be accepted in that, you know, that $300, $200 would not be, 200 Canadian would be gone. And that'd be good up for about three years. You can also try to convince the Canadians in advance before you get to the border that you've achieved what they call criminal rehabilitation. Uh, wow. You have to convince them basically that you're no longer uh, a threat as a serious criminal. So now, uh, that any... takes work. You can't just do it at the border. You have to plan ahead. Right. Do any other countries have this rule in place? Others do, but they're not as strict as Canada. For for example, some countries are more likely to let you in if your uh, DUI conviction wasn't considered a felony in the state you did it in. And usually if it's a felony, it's like there's some sort of damage or injury or death associated with it. Sometimes it's just classified as a misdemeanor back home. And in countries other than Canada, like Mexico, they could potentially let you in. It depends on how nice the border guard is. Uh, I get mm. a lot of word back that in Mexico, they're much more lax, that they're much more likely to let you in despite a DUI conviction. But the letter of the law in Mexico says that they are allowed to refuse you on similar criminal grounds uh, if you have a DOI conviction that's fairly recent. Isn't that fascinating? And on a much lighter note, you covered 
an uncoverer. I think that's the best way to put it. You, there's a new Chrome extension that allows you to see what the secret hotels are on Priceline and, uh, oh my goodness, I'm blanking on the name of the other. Hotwire. Hotwire. Yeah. Yeah, How does that work? People who don't know about this, it's actually a really great feature of both Priceline and Hotwire. If you search for a hotel price, one of the several categories of results you'll receive is for either express deal on Priceline or a hot rate on Hotwire. That doesn't tell you the name of the hotel. It tells you where it is, how nice it is, you know, kind of some of the generals of the amenities, but doesn't name it. And so unless you really know all the hotels in that area, you're not going to be able to figure out what that place is. And the problem is to get that incredible discount, which can be as high as 60%, you have to pay in advance and you're only find out what the name of the hotel is after you've given your money. So this extension, which you download from the Chrome extension store, you know, that everyone has built into their browser. And uh, if you download this and run it, it's called Travel Arrow, Travel Arrow. And it activate it when you go to Priceline or Hotwire and look at these anonymous hotels, open up a page from one of these anonymous hotel results, it'll tell you which hotel it is. I guess it figures out what it is based on vague location and room count and amenities. It basically lines up all those details to figure out what the property is. So it'll name the place before you book. So you'll know, oh, that Hilton, I would stay at that Hilton. And so you don't take as much of a risk when you buy Ah, that discounted hotel. It's kind of a great idea. do Do we know that it always gets its guesses right? In my experience, and I, I do encourage people because we've just began testing this ourselves. In my experience, it has right. been correct. But uh, it obviously, if there are times when it's not going to work, I'd love readers to let us know via our, our Facebook page because sometimes we're all trying this new these new tools out together as soon as they come out. Yeah. Well, speaking about tools, you had a really interesting, sometimes funny article on travel gadgets. Like, uh, my favorite is the cover photo for the article. It's this little kind of arm, uh, that comes around you on a plane and it allows you to hold a drink while you're holding your phone or vice versa. What's it called and, and how does it work? This thing is, is kind of wild. If you can picture for people listening, it's, it's, Picture a feather boa that's a pillow, so a big snake-like thing that you can hold <laughs> its position. So if you put it into an S, it'll stay in an S because there's an armature inside of it, even though it's soft. And at the very end, there's a clamp where your smartphone can go. So basically, this big, long snake is holding your smartphone, and it'll stay in whatever position you put it in, around your neck, around your back, whatever you want when you're traveling. It's called the Pillow Talk Mobile Pillow. It looks ridiculous. I've got to say, you know, you look like you <laughs> it does. Uh, Inspector Gadget or Dr. Octopus or right. something. But it's kind of fun because uh, it's a travel pillow for your neck, really, that uh, performs a job. You don't have to hold your phone in front of you when you're on a plane or a train watching it. Uh, So it's kind of a cute idea. But that's one of the many items we put in the most recent gift guide. We put a lot of little things, like things that shrink down jobs. Like, you know, uh, if you want to bring along perfume or cologne and don't want to bring those big, heavy, nice glass bottles, they come in. There's, I got some little tiny atomizers that you can pour it into that are well beneath what you, the limit would be for the TSA. So you can carry more things from home uh, without weighing yourself down or shattering in your luggage. You also chose one of the uh, products that was on Oh my! I, uh, my mind is going today. That TV show where people 
Shark Tank. Uh, tell about that one. That is fascinating. Believe it or not, a couple of them on the list had been on Shark Tank in the past, but huh. one of them got a deal. And uh, we do mention it. It's called Bug Bite Thing. And it's this right. little plastic cylinder, basically, with arms on it. And it's a, it's, a, it's a plunger on the bottom. And when you put it on a bee sting or a mosquito bite that's just happened, and you you pull pull back to make the suction work, it pulls out the toxins from your body, the bee sting, it pulls out the you know, the saliva of the mosquito or whatever that is, uh, so that you, your reaction's not nearly as bad. As long as you, you get it you know, fairly soon after the sting or bite, which most of us would when you know you've been stung or bitten, uh, and you right. don't use it on your face, where it will look like you've, you've just you know, been suctioned. It looks like a hickey if you put it on your face. <laughs> but uh, it works fairly well for most of the reviews. It did pretty well on Shark Tank. And um, it's kind of it's kind of a cool idea. There's even built-in scrapers on the side of it, so that if you see the 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 stinger stuck in you or a splinter, even you can kind of like push it out without getting things worse. It's a really interesting little gadget, simple as you can be. It's a little plunger for ten dollars. Wow! No, I kind of want one of those. Uh, we also have some articles about destinations that are doing pretty well. I did one about New York City, and it was it was an anger article because I read another article in a major major travel magazine that covers luxury travel, and they had a piece on the afford the most affordable hotels in New York City. And I, I thought, wow, this publication is covering this. I'm so surprised. And I opened it up and it was hotels that because I write Fromer's New York City, I knew that these hotels for about six months out of the year cost $400 or $500 a night. So yeah, they're, they're affordable, sadly, by New York City standards, where it's, it's not unusual to pay that amount for a really undistinguished hotel or to pay double that amount for a luxury hotel. But I thought, you know, somebody's got to write something about the actual cheap places. Uh, and so I did. Uh, a lot of them you have to share a bathroom. Uh, that's the that's the cost of staying cheaply in New York. Uh, and but, Europe. But some of them, and Europe, uh, but some of them are, are qu- all of them I would stay in. All of them are comfortable, very clean. Uh, some of them are even a little glamorous. There's one called the Jane which was the hotel where the survivors of the Titanic were put uh, when they got back to New York uh, before they went onward. That's how long this place has been a hotel. But as with many hotels, the rooms are minute. They're tiny, tiny, tiny rooms, uh, reminding you that people were smaller in the old days (laughs) and so tiny that they, you share bathrooms and so you you have to go to a bathroom down the hall, but when you go down to the lobby, it's filled with glamorous and very uh, hopping night spots and lots of people on computers. And uh, it's a real, it's an elegant scene. You would not expect that upstairs, everybody's sharing bathrooms, but they are. Uh, that's it, New York. <laughs> how much more affordable is it compared to a lot of the other nice hotels? I know the Jane Hotel, but I haven't stayed there overnight. Oh my goodness. Most nights of the year, you can stay at the Jane for the mid 100s. Whereas, you know, everywhere else in the city, it's going to be triple that. Um, That's the crazy thing about New York. For a while, we were cheap. And now, like so many things, the, the prices have just gone through the roof. 
Um, I found the so, same thing was true in London when I was there uh, researching the upcoming Fromer's Guide that we're publishing. Uh, the yeah. hotel prices just didn't take a hit because New York and London are two places that people don't ever want to strike off of their lists. Always going to be dream destinations. And so, you know, they're still able to claim really high hotel rates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hate to end on that sad note. Is there something happier we should discuss? <laughs> how to work out in an airport, how to get some exercise oh, well, in that, the airport. That that comes next. That comes <laughs> next. All right. We will say goodbye to Jason. Thank you. It's always a delight speaking with you. Bye-bye. Our next guest is Jen Murphy. She's a columnist for the Wall Street Journal, and she has an interesting explanation for why people are running or walking very fast in the airports. Not the usual explanation. Hey, Jen, thank you so much for appearing on the Firmer Travel Show. Thank you so much for having me. So recently you wrote a really interesting column. Uh, it was titled The Cure for, for Travel Stress, Airport workouts. How common is this? How many of the people rushing by us are not actually running to get a plane, but are working out? I think particularly this summer, given all of the delays we've had with airlines, you know, people have two options at the airport. You can go to a restaurant and bar and kill time, or right. more health-minded people are starting to walk, or even in some cases, if they're not self-conscious at all, get in their workouts. And, you know, one of the experts I interviewed had a really good point. It, you know, we used to go to malls to walk. And in his opinion, the airport's even better than mall walking because it's temperature controlled. You have water fountains. A lot of airports <laughs> tell you the distance between terminals. So, yeah, I think it's just a more positive, health-minded spin on how to kill some time if you're stuck at the airport. Yeah, absolutely. But sometimes you did interview one guy who's gotten in trouble for actually running in the airport. Yes. <laughs> I thought that was I, hilarious. I will say, you know, I, I will be, I will admit I have worked out in airports. I travel quite a bit. I don't run because I don't want to be the sweaty person at in, you know, on right. the plane. Um, but, but yeah, you know, this gentleman is on a, a streak of running one mile every day. He has done that for almost 50 years. Um, nothing wow. is going to stop him, even a flight. Um, and he tries to look very inconspicuous. And quite a few times he's been stopped by armed guards um, wondering what the heck he's doing. But, you know, I, t I spoke to another young woman who she frequently runs in the airport, sometimes logging up to, you know, four miles. And wow, to her point, like most people aren't paying attention to you. Hmm. Yeah, sure. And you do expect people to be running in the airport because uh, nowadays you could be really delayed in the damn security line and, and have to book to your gate just to get on the plane in time. Now, there are actually gyms at airports now. Uh, is there one chain or how does how does somebody find out if there's going to be a gym and with that gym, a shower, which is important if you're going to be working out in the airport? You know, sadly, there aren't a lot of gyms out there right now. The best bet is to see, which I personally do, um, see if there is an airport hotel and if they offer a day pass to their gym. Huh. There are, I think, in the next few years going to be more gyms right now, Rome Fitness. 
is at the Baltimore-Washington International Airport, and they are in talks with multiple U.S. airports to expand. They'll be opening a location in Philadelphia's airport, hopefully um, this fall or early next winter. And I think the best thing you can do is to go to the airport websites or even the airport. um, A lot of them have apps uh, and see what's available. With Rome, you can get a day pass and reserve a shower 24 hours in advance. They also, which is fantastic, that $25 pass includes complimentary Lululemon clothing and Brooke shoes. So if you have not worn your workout clothing to the airport, you can borrow theirs, shower and change, which I just think is brilliant. Yeah, that is, that's amazing. Really forward thinking. Can you get a day pass to an airport hotel just for the shower? Because I guess, I mean, you could work up a sweat just speed walking back and forth through the airport. I wonder if people do that. You could certainly call and ask. I know in certain airports, I was in Frankfurt and there is actually a a company that is just, it's napping rooms and showers and you can call in advance. Mm. You know, you pay a fee to either take your nap or, or shower. So yeah, there are creative ways. It just takes a little planning in advance. Right. And I thought it was interesting, your last uh, person who you interviewed or the person who you featured last in your article was a fellow who is doing major, I guess, strength training without weights right at the gate. And he he has no qualms about it. No. And I wouldn't say strength training. You know, he he's very smart. If you think about this, you're getting on a plane and you're going to be sitting for hours, which we all know right. is not healthy. Um, He goes through mobility work. And I think a lot of us, when we are rushed for time at the gym, the first thing we skip is our stretches. Um, Mm -hmm. So he uses that five, 10 minutes of airport time to go through the stretches. He always skips at the gym. And he says that actually helps him feel less stiff when he gets off his flight. It also kind of tires him out so he can sleep better. So it's it's a win-win, even though he looks funny. Um, he does do it in bare feet, which I don't know if I'd be in bare feet at the airport, but <laughs> it's right. his own. Right. No, he's doing squats. He's doing leg lifts. He's doing stretches. I, I would think that that's great entertainment for the more sedentary passengers too. And you know, I uh, found people- quiet corners. You know, some airports do have yoga rooms. You don't need to book in advance. You go in. It's a great place to do yoga or other exercises if you are feeling self-conscious. But I found quiet little sections of the airport and I've started doing yoga and I've actually had strangers join me and have had to say like, oh no, like I'm not a teacher. I'm just like a weirdo (laughs) (laughs) reaching out. But I do think, I do think if it was offered more, there would be a definite interest from travelers. Well, definitely. And it makes sense. It makes sense. In our crazy, crowded lives, we have to now spend more time at the airport because of the chaos there. Uh, so why not spend it in a way that's that's going to be good for your health? It's a wonderful article. Thank you so much, Jen, for appearing on the Frommer Travel Show. Thank you so much for having me. guest today is an old friend and a great expert. He's Michael Green, and he is a wine and food educator 
and entertainer. Hey, Michael, welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you so much, Pauline. It's great to be back. Well, I thought of having you on because today my daughter, Veronica, who's 23, went to her first winery tour. Uh, she's, <laughs> nice. She's yeah, she's actually in Nice, and uh, she went, I think, outside of the city, obviously, into Provence, and she, what she learned kind of blew her mind. She didn't expect it to be as scientific and as about farming as it was, and also about the art of wine tasting, or wine making, I should say. So uh, for folks who've never taken a winery tour, what, what makes it special? What do you learn? Well, first of all, Pauline, you know, drinking a bottle of wine is a passport, and it can transport you to a different place. And the idea of going to a winery and understanding how it happens, how it's made, the importance of soil, also known as terroir, the idea that certain wines taste different because of the regions where they come from, and experiencing this firsthand can't be beat. Well, when I was in Burgundy earlier this summer, I, I I got a big lesson in terroir because every single foot of land in that region has an appellation to it. It has a, a ranking, and you know that these rankings are hard fought. And it it seemed to me it all boiled down to the more tortured the vine was, the more it had to work to actually get water and sustenance the better the wine could be, at least for Pinot Noir, which was mostly the grapes that I was looking for. Is it always like that or is, is, well, it, is it different by varietal? The idea that vines need to struggle is generally a really good thing for the finished product. When you're talking about Burgundy and your trip there, it's actually one of my favorite wine regions to visit in the world. The idea of terroir, the idea of place, the idea of, of soil, something that I termed many years ago but never took hold, is the idea of someone Awareness that while hmm. you might not be able to pinpoint exactly, exactly what it is, the idea that special wines, frankly, indeed come from special places. Yeah. Well, in, in Burgundy, you really get that feeling because unlike many other regions like Champagne, for example, they do not blend grapes from different plots of land. Every bottle or most every bottle represents just one or, or, or oh gosh, I guess a couple, a couple of vines that are all in the same area. Extraordinary. I mean, it's an extraordinary place. And frankly, buying Burgundy is not inexpensive, as you, I'm right. sure, know. Um, <laughs> yes. But the idea of Burgundy perhaps more so than any other region, really the idea of these different climats, these different plots of land, you can be 50 feet away and have one wine that costs $50 a bottle, and then you walk another 50 feet and that same bottle of wine can cost $200 a bottle. But the idea that on the most basic level, 
all burgundy, red burgundy is made from Pinot Noir and all white burgundy is made from Chardonnay. But as you experience when you were over in Burgundy and in Dijon and tootling around, I think on a bicycle. <laughs> yes, yes, um, on a bicycle. Um, the idea that these places are so, so different. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the other surprising thing for me in Burgundy was I'm used to, you know, going around California wine country, where if you see a winery, you just stroll up to it and you get a tour or you get a tasting. In Burgundy, the majority of wineries didn't want tourists. They didn't want people just strolling in off the street. Uh, is that common in France and in other regions? Well, let's broaden it, basically, how to get into a winery. And yeah. my first recommendation is you really don't want to come to a party where you haven't been invited. So calling, <laughs> calling or emailing first is really, really important because while there are certain wineries, like in California, as you mentioned, that you can just show up. Right. If you take the time to make a reservation, you will have most probably a more personal experience. Now, to your point, there are certain wineries because of their size, small or very large, they really don't encourage visitors. But if you sometimes knock on the door, they will make an exception. Well, yeah, I tried that at one place in Burgundy that that somebody at the, the winery I had just been at had recommended. It was not a place I had contacted in advance because I, I did. I, I took the advice of the guy at the bike store, actually, and said, where should I go? And he keep, he steered me well. He steered me towards three very good wineries. Later on, I found there were some websites uh, that, that tell you which wineries accept uh, visitors in France. Uh, but I just biked up to one place. It was probably the hardest biking of the day. It was a very rural road, <laughs> almost almost straight up. And I got to the door huffing and puffing, thinking they can give me water before I taste the wine. <laughs> I knocked on the door. Nobody was there. Nobody was there. I had to get back on my bike and, and bike away. I, I didn't get to visit that one. Well, I want to make a point that there are certain wine regions that have really embraced winery tourism. The yeah. idea that they understand that they can enhance the experience, that they can generate more brand engagement and generate more sales by welcoming yeah. people and giving them an experience. Burgundy, frankly, is really not one of those regions. Yeah, that's what I found. What are some other regions where you're just not going to get in unless you make a, an advanced reservation? Well, let me give you a recent example. A colleague of mine um, emailed me three days before asking for a visit at Sasakaya. Now, Sasakaya is one of the premier wines in the Bulgari region of Italy. And yeah. Generally, I can make things happen, but after reaching out, it turns out that Sasakaya is now booking up three months in advance. Wow. Huh. And they are taking a very limited amount of visitors because they really want to enhance the guest experience. So there's an example of a winery that does invite tourism, but you have to book up far in advance. 
Right. And when you say it's a more personal experience, if you book in advance, what changes? How is it more personal? First off, they know that you have taken the time to interact with them to get an interview, to to get an appointment rather. And so it might be that they're opening up more special bottled wines for you. It might be that they're letting you taste at a barrel. It might be that they're walking Mm. you through a new vineyard that they purchased or offering you a sample of a new wine that has not been on the market yet. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that all makes sense. No, it was, it, it really is. Well, you know, it's always fun to be drinking. <laughs> I should spit, I should spit more probably, especially before I get on my bike, but well, but you know something, matter. it's really fun to be drinking at a winery at a winery where the wine has been produced. There's something really magical about it. There's something that goes beyond the taste. It's really about all your senses being in that place, experiencing that wine. Yeah, no, absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head. And with that, I'm going to say thank you, Michael. Um, Once again, we've we've been speaking with Michael Green, who is a wine expert, educator and entertainer par extraordinaire and we're going to say goodbye for this week thank you so much for listening and to those who are traveling may i wish you a hearty bon voyage i'll see you next week Watching cable